Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So I was reading through and, and praying over James a lot in, in preparation for this, and I kept coming back to James 1.26. Uh, it reads, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The word worthless jumped out and, and grabbed a hold of me as I read through this, and I kept getting tripped up on it every time I go through, go through the book. Worthless, having no value, useless. How terrible would it be to get to eternity and discover that your religion, your worship, your faith had no value? It contributed nothing to the kingdom of God. It was worthless. As we've worked through James, our overarching idea has been... Drop my iPad. (laughs) As we've worked through James, our overarching idea has been faith in action. Probably the most well-known portion of James is is found in chapter 2, where James talks about faith without works is dead, right? When in week eight, when we studied that section, Pastor Nate taught that our actions authenticate our faith. We aren't saved because of our actions. We are saved because we put our trust, our faith in Jesus. But that faith will produce action. The call to follow Jesus, the call of faith, is a call to action. And James makes the claim that if that action doesn't exist, if those works aren't there, then we have a dead faith. In chapter 2, verse 20, in the middle of this section on faith without works is dead, James says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? If you have faith but nothing to show for it, then your faith is useless. It's worthless. In other words, a workless faith is a worthless faith. A workless faith is a worthless faith. Now, I'm not saying that a workless faith is not a saving faith. Only God can pass judgment on salvation. But what I am saying is that salvation, faith in Jesus, is so much more than a get-into-heaven pass. There is purpose to be found, life to be lived, and work to be done within the kingdom of God here and now. And when I'm talking about works, what I mean, and what I think James is getting at, is a life of obedience to Jesus. Through obedience to Jesus, we participate in the kingdom of God and have a life that has real, lasting worth. And ultimately, all of this flows out of the Spirit of God working within us. We can't do anything of worth apart from His Spirit at work in us, but the Spirit of God won't do anything in us if we aren't willing to step out in obedience. So the question this morning is, do you have a worthless faith? We're going to look at five aspects within this idea of a workless faith is a worthless faith. 
and then we're going to flip it at the end um, and, and come at it from the other direction. But to start out with, the first aspect of a workless faith is that it is revealed by our words. James has a lot to say about our words in his letter, which is interesting because in arguing that faith without works is dead, you'd think he'd talk about works a whole lot. But in fact, he only uses that word works one more time after that section in chapter 2. Instead, the bulk of James's letter is uh, directed at and about how we speak. This is because our words reveal the content of our heart. We can perform actions, but eventually how we speak will reveal the content of our heart. Are we acting out of pride and selfish ambition, seeking to be, look good in the eyes of others? Or are we humbly seeking to be obedient to Jesus? In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We can claim all day long that we are doing what the Lord has commanded us to do, but at some point, our words will find us out. In James chapter 3, James talks about the evil of our tongue. Um, lost my, I have the verse here. James talks about the evil our tongue is capable of. And starting in verse 5, he, he writes, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison." And then we can also go back to James chapter 1, verse 26, where I started this morning. If any of you think, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. Our words reveal when we are not walking in obedience to Jesus, because it is impossible for us to control our tongue. It is a restless evil, a raging fire, impossible to control apart from the working of the Spirit of God in our lives. A workless faith is revealed by our words. The second aspect is that a workless faith leads to a divided life. In chapter 1, starting in verse 5, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. This is a person with one foot in the world and one foot in their faith. They aren't fully committed to the way of Jesus. Instead, they're trying to manage their faith as one part among many within their life. This division makes them unstable and unable to receive anything from the Lord. Obedience to Jesus is complete. 
Partial obedience is simply disobedience. In chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, James shows how this divided faith can be seen in our words. Continuing his teaching on the tongue, he says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Are we different people depending on who we're talking to? Does the circle we run in, or the circle we are in, determine the way that we speak? Is the way you act while you're here on a Sunday or with your awakened group throughout the week radically different than the way you act at your job or with your friends? Obedience to Jesus must permeate every aspect of our life. If your faith is just another part of your life, similar to your job or your friends or your hobby, then in the end, it will prove to be worthless. You, not Jesus, are sitting on the throne of your life, calling the shots and deciding how you want to live. And this is a place of arrogance and pride. Nothing of lasting value in the kingdom of God can come from it. The work of faith flows from surrender to Jesus. As Hudson Taylor put it, Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. A workless faith leads to a divided life. The third aspect is that a workless faith embraces the world. When we don't live out our faith, when it is workless, then it won't change us. We start out divided, but we will end up embracing the world. James warns us in, in James 4, in chapter 4, verse 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you do not do the works of God, then you will end up doing the works of the world which really are the works of the devil. James shares two early warning signs, two check engine lights, right, for us in the beginning of chapter, uh, for us as we look at embracing the world. What, is it, what does it mean to embrace the world? In the beginning of chapter 2, he warns believers against favoritism. He has a whole long section there. I'm not going to read it all for you. But the idea is that the world shows favor to those who have money. But faith treats everyone the same. Everyone is welcome at the foot of the cross. Anyone is welcome to be a part of the kingdom of God. When we start to value people based on what they can do for us, we have an early warning sign that we are embracing the world, becoming an enemy of God, and making our faith worthless. The second early warning sign is, is in James 4, verse 13. He writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil." This is the, the hustle culture we live in. Work hard, make plans, chase success. 
It's founded on the deception that you control your life. But it's boasting and arrogance, putting yourself in the place of God rather than trusting Jesus as shepherd and provider. Rather than participate in building the kingdom of God, you are building your own kingdom that will eventually come to nothing. When career goals and financial success become your primary focus, then you are on the road to embracing the world and becoming an enemy of God. A faith that isn't primarily concerned with the kingdom of God is in the end a worthless faith. The fourth aspect of a workless faith is that a workless faith breeds chaos. In the beginning of chapter 4, James asks, asks, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. Divided faith leads to embracing the world, which breeds chaos through the sin in your life. James recognizes the arguments and fighting that is broken out within his audience. Nothing is going right. Nobody is receiving what they need. Greed, selfish ambition, uh, jealousy are all rampant within the church. In chapter 3, in talking about wisdom, James calls out this behavior. In verse 14, he writes, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Notice the division there, false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The embrace of the world has led to jealousy and selfish ambition. Disorder and chaos are the consequences. You cannot just passively approach your faith. Last week, Nate taught that there is no middle ground. You are either progressing or regressing. You're either seeking after Jesus or running away from God. In James 1.14, we read, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The end of passive, workless faith is chaos and death. It's a worthless faith. The fifth and final aspect of a workless faith is that it it infects others. Nineteen times across James's letter, he refers to his audience as brothers. This is a familial relationship. We are a family, united by Christ. Paul refers to us as a body, working together and being led by Jesus as the head of the body. We do not operate in isolation, but live in cooperation with each other. And we affect each other through the way that we choose to live and the decisions that we make. When you attempt to be a part of the church, but refuse to walk in obedience to Jesus, then like a virus infects the body, your sin 
infects the church. There is responsibility to being a part of the church because you have influence on the people you are in relationship with. Beyond even just influence, James says that we provide healing to each other through confession of sin. Chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We confess our sins to God to find forgiveness and then to one another to find healing from the brokenness that that sin brings. We need each other. But when we are satisfied with a workless faith, rather than bring healing to the church, we infect the church. Don't have a worthless faith, but rather... Pursue a faith worth having. I want to go back through the same aspects we just looked at, but but work at it from the other end of things. We've looked at a workless faith, but what does a work-filled faith look like? A work-filled faith is a worthwhile faith. And that work-filled faith, first off, is driven by our words. I mentioned this earlier, but I found it really interesting that James doesn't focus too much on any specific work, right? Right off the bat, in chapter 1, though, he calls for believers to ask for wisdom, right? We're, we're asking, we're, we're, we're talking to the Lord rather than receiving wisdom because of anything that we did. Ask the Lord. Our faith brings us into relationship with the creator of the universe, and we are told to bring our requests before him. Wisdom begins by seeking the Lord. At the end of chapter 2, verse 12, James tells us, Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We show judgment and mercy primarily through how we talk to and about one another. A person of worthwhile faith shows mercy to those who do them wrong. They are quick to forgive. They don't judge. They, they treat others and speak in love. At the end of chapter 5, uh, at the end of the book uh, in chapter 5, James encourages believers to be diligent in prayer. Pastor Jeremiah taught an excellent message on this passage two Sundays ago. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. He talked about how this passage highlights the importance of prayer. A work-filled faith is driven, is fueled by prayer. A work-filled faith is a prayer-filled faith. We have people who meet here every Sunday in the back of the sanctuary here in the morning to pray for the church. We'll have over 300 people who come here between both services to, to be a part of the services, uh, to be a part of the worship. Uh, but we have, I think, five people, four to five people who show up in the morning to pray over the church. Now, I know that serving can conflict with that time and that there are way more than four people who are consistently praying for the church. But if you know that the Lord is calling you to be faithful in prayer and you need an action, you need a response, then I want to invite you 
join us in the back Sunday mornings. We're, we're pushing the time back a little bit to 8 a.m. so that uh, if, you, if you are serving and it conflicts, you can, you can come a little bit earlier. Come join us at 8 or come after that. Allow prayer to fuel your faith. The second aspect of a work-filled faith is that a work-filled faith leads to a unified life. In James 1, verse 2, he writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Faith that has been tested and is lived out makes you whole. The testing brings reality to your faith because it forces you to depend on God. You no longer have one foot in the world and one foot in your faith. Living out your faith makes it worthwhile because of what it does in you. It brings you into alignment with God, to a place where you are perfect and complete lacking nothing in Him. A work-filled faith unifies us internally with God, and when that happens, our actions and our words become unified as well. In chapter 5, verse 12, James tells us, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. When living in obedience to Jesus, our words and actions will be in alignment. A work-filled faith will result in unity between what we say and what we do, because we will be focused on only doing and saying what brings glory to God. Now, what I'm saying there, keep in mind that this is a progression. I don't want to leave a door open for excuses for sin, but you don't get saved and then immediately are perfect, right? We grow in our faith. But we should, we should be growing in Christ, Are you becoming more unified? Is your life more unified over time? Or are you becoming more divided? The next aspect of a work-filled faith is that it embraces the Word. Where a workless faith leads to the embrace of the world, a work-filled faith starts with the embrace of the Word. In chapter 1, verse 21, James calls his audience to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We, we cannot change ourselves. It is only through the power of God that we are able to do anything worthwhile. And that power, that salvation comes through the word of God. A work-filled faith embraces the word. The next aspect, a work-filled faith cultivates peace. While a worthless faith breeds chaos, a work-filled faith will cultivate peace. In chapter 3, verse 18, James tells us that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness, right living, comes out of peace. We were once enemies of God, at war with him, in rebellion to the truth. But Jesus made a way for us to be at peace with the Father. He brought us back into relationship with him, and we are to become agents of God's peace in the world. Are you an agent of peace 
in the places you go? Is there more peace at your job because you are there? Are the text threads and the conversations you are part of more peaceful because you are a part of them? Is there more peace in your family because you are in it? Good works of faith, obedience to Jesus, will cultivate peace in the midst of chaos. The final aspect, a work-filled faith, inspires others. We are a body helping and supporting each other, a family that encourages and inspires each other to do good works. I can think back to the times that I have stepped out in my faith, whether it was stepping up in leadership at my college campus ministry or moving out to Clarksville or being intentional to share my faith at my work. All of the moments of courageous steps of faith in my life, I can trace back to the inspiration of another believer. Whether it was someone who has gone before me and inspires me to do the same, or somebody who takes that step of faith with me. A great example more recently of of this is what Pastor AJ and his wife Breezy are doing on Saturday mornings. Uh, Breezy felt the Lord was directing her to be purposeful in reaching out to their neighbors. So they started setting up this coffee stand in their driveway. They have a... um, They have a coffee stand, they have an umbrella, they have some chairs out, and they just hand out free coffee to their neighborhood on Saturday mornings. It's an opportunity for neighbors to come in. They meet a lot of neighbors, they have good, deep spiritual conversations with them. Uh, But beyond that, they invited people from their group in to participate and be a part of it and to see what they're doing. And from that inspiration, another couple is going to start doing something similar in their neighborhood. Work-filled faith inspires others. The author of Hebrews says it well in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We should spend time considering, thinking over, how can I inspire, how am I inspiring others towards love and good works? If you're not in an awakened group, this is one of the reasons it's so important to be a part of a group. All throughout August, uh, we're entering into our fall quarter for for groups, Um, and you'll see a whole lot of stuff. We'll have uh, posters out in the lobby where you you can get a QR code to sign up. We'll be talking about it from the stage. Get in a group if you're not in one. We need each other. We inspire each other. We encourage each other through the day-to-day living throughout the week, and, and you can find that in an awakened group. Be intentional in that. You have the opportunity to make a difference in the kingdom of God. To bring others to the truth. Inspire faith and life in people around you. It is difficult. It takes sacrifice and hard work to put faith in action. But it is necessary and worthwhile work. And more than that, it is lasting work. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 15 with me. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only, through, but only as through fire. The building that Paul is talking about here is the work of faith. We have this foundation in Jesus and what we do with the life we have in him builds upon that foundation. Paul paints this vivid picture of someone whose works build structures of straw and hay. And they are revealed for what they are, worthless building material at the end of his life. He enters eternity with Jesus, but with everything he accomplished and built in life, burned away, shown to be empty and worthless. What are you building? How are you working out your faith within your family, within your career, within your neighborhood? Are you building something that will make it through that fire? Or will it prove to be worthless in the end? Now, all of this, it flows from our relationship with Jesus. If in the letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more, uh, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We, we are called to a work-filled faith. But in our obedience to that calling, it is ultimately the Spirit of God at work within us. He gives us both the desire and the power to work in the kingdom of God through a worthwhile faith. A faith that is driven by our words, unifies our life, embraces the word, cultivates peace, and inspires others. This is a faith worth having. If you're looking at yourself this morning and you realize that you don't have that, you are not alone. Satan seeks to isolate you so that he can destroy you. Be willing to be honest and vulnerable in the midst of your lack. At the very beginning of the book, in chapter 1, verse 5, James tells us, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Go before the Lord. Ask him for the wisdom to follow him. Ask him for the wisdom to will and work, to fill you with, with his spirit. And then come, talk to one of the pastors. We're up here after worship every, every Sunday morning. We'd love to pray with you, spend time, encourage you in your faith. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone.
Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.